Thank you for visiting the website of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, McAllen, Texas. May I call your attention to Isaiah chapter 5. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5, we always recommend that you have your Bible open. The prophet Isaiah lived and did the Lord's work during one of those times of serious decline in the history of God's people. In the shadow of the Assyrian threat, followed by the Babylonian captivity that he wrote about in the latter chapters of his book. We may know him best for his amazing prophecies of the Messiah and the future kingdom. It is fascinating and edifying to spend hours reading Isaiah's prophecies and tracking those to their New Testament fulfillment. But here's what we need to remember about the Old Testament prophets. They also addressed the people about their sin, sins that led to the judgment the prophets announced. It was often the case that a prophet of God would say something like, you were headed for trouble, for judgment, and here are the reasons. Here's one of those passages. I'm in Isaiah chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant, for ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure, and the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down. Her revelers and he who exalts in her. Man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and nomads shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, Let him be quick, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come, that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. That's Isaiah 5, 8 through 23. And if you lived in the time of Isaiah or one of the other prophets, there were two words you didn't want to hear. Woe and therefore. Woe identified their sin and therefore introduced the consequences. And here in Isaiah 5, as you read through this series of woes, it almost seems like Isaiah is preaching to our time today. The lower appetites of the human race haven't changed that much, neither the disobedient ways and practices of people who have left God. There is so much in this passage that is descriptive of our culture today. Getting up early to start drinking, lack of knowledge, absence of noble leadership, pride with the load of iniquity it supports, injustice. We see all of that today. But look with me now at verse 20 in Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Does this ever occur to you? I know it does. Moral confusion surrounds us. The distinction between good and evil, lost or rejected or never really known, reversing what is absolute, calling evil good and good evil, that's frightening, frightening for us, and certainly offensive to the Creator, and frightening for us as we think about future generations. And it leads me to this question I want to explore with you during this recording. Does it matter what we call things? Terminology, is it important? I want to start here. Let me just speak to this generally, and then I'll address this in terms of moral discernment based on biblical principle. But first, this question, does it matter what we call things? I mean, generally speaking. I believe it does, and I want to illustrate that on a very simple level. A few weeks ago, I discovered a problem with one of the tires on my car, and I took the car in, and it was fixed. But what if I had done this? Imagine I go into the repair center, and I say, there's something wrong with my car. And next, I'll hear the question, what is wrong with your car? And I say, well, it's one of the round things. And now the mechanic is getting a little irritated. Steering wheel, one of the knobs on your dashboard, what? Tell me. See, in order for the mechanic to know what the problem is, I'm going to have to use right, specific, correct terminology. I'll have to say the tire on the right front passenger side, it has a hole. 
terminology matters. Good, accurate, specific communication enables us here on earth to be functional and responsible and effective. Another illustration, if you go to the doctor and say, something is wrong with my body, you'll get a similar response as the mechanic gave. Specification is necessary in order for there to be right response. Terminology, language matters. When terminology is specific and correct, it can lead to knowledge and a right response. And in our ordinary discourse from day to day, we understand the importance of what we call things. We must be correct in the words that we use in order to be understood. So a chair is not a table, a tree is not a cloud, and a boy is not a girl, a girl is not a boy. Terminology matters. What we call things is important. In the time of Isaiah, God's people were confused, and part of that confusion gave rise to calling evil good and good evil. That can never be good for a people. And I will add, the words we use, the language or terminology, always reflects our view of life and our interest. Words project who we are what we honor or dishonor. And in the devil's efforts to get into our heads and our lives, he may advance first into our language, seeking to move us closer to the world's culture. What we call things matters. How we identify people and gender and the words we use to express principles, all of that makes a difference and it is up to us to call things as they are, according to the biblical standard. I want to take us to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 in the New Testament. This is that final section of Paul's first letter to Timothy, and it is here where we find that call to battle, fight, the good fight of faith. By preaching and living right, Timothy's charge was to expose and oppose evil. Paul said, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. And I take you now to verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Let me read that again. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. You can't just pull up some desire or practice or assertion and call it knowledge. What you think you know may be wrong. What you think you understand may be wrong. What people want you to say may be wrong. It could be you've been deceived. So I'm saying to us, we cannot let the culture change and control our language. What we call things matters. There is pressure in our society to stop speaking the truth and to call various behaviors and relationships by the politically correct terminology. 
we cannot accept that pressure. We cannot, in the interest of some misguided diplomacy or compromise, let the world tell us what to call things. Just as in the time of Isaiah, we cannot call evil good or good evil. It matters what we call things. Nouns, pronouns, relationships, gender, adultery, perversion, various kinds of good behavior and bad behavior. God's people do not bow to the culture, nor do we let the devil get into our heads and our tongues and change what we call things. May I take us to Romans 1, 18 to 32. I hope you have your Bible. Romans 1, 18 to 32. So this is that opening section in the book of Romans where Paul identifies so clearly the human problem. The human problem that was evident in the time of Isaiah, in the time of Christ, in the time of Paul, and today. And that human problem is sin. Listen to Paul's terminology in Romans 1, 18-32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, 
though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Whatever these attitudes and behaviors might have been called in the Jewish culture or the Roman Empire, that didn't influence Paul. He took these words from God and wrote them in his indictment of the human race, and he did this also into chapter 2 and into chapter 3. I tell you, sin can't really be addressed if it isn't called what God says it is. Paul wanted Christians to submit to God, not the culture that surrounded them. In Colossians 2 and verse 8, he said, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. My terminology needs to match up with what Paul said and Christ said as clearly rendered in our translations, not what the culture, media, celebrities, or politicians want us to say. When terminology is specific and correct, it can lead to knowledge and a right response. And in our ordinary discourse from day to day, we understand the importance of what we call things. A chair is not a table, a tree is not a cloud, and a boy is not a girl. Terminology matters. What we call things is important. In the time of Isaiah, God's people were confused, and part of that confusion gave rise to incorrect terminology, calling evil good and good evil. And that promoted what is evil, and it displaced what is good. This can never be good for a people. We are in a battle for our minds, and one way the devil approaches is to change what we call things. If the devil can change what we call things and we follow his lead, once the terminology changes, we have surrendered. And next, we are moved further away from the absolute moral law given by the Creator in very clear words given by the Holy Spirit and rendered through translation into our language. I am not recommending insulting people with insulting terminology. I am recommending that we respect what Scripture says, what God calls various behaviors, and give God's terminology priority over the words the world wants us to use. Now back to Isaiah where we started. Why did the prophet issue those indictments? Why did he call out the sinners, the leaders of the moral and spiritual rebellion? Why did he preach against their apostasy? To save them, to bring them to repentance, to teach the next generation, to lead them away from the ruin they had chosen. These matters we have brought up about the sin of our culture need exposure. But once we expose the moral ruin, we are not finished. We must preach 
Christ and him crucified. Once we identify the problem, we need to speak of the solution, and Christ is the solution. In our conversations with people, our use of social media, let's identify the problem of sin and then take people to the Savior. Study the Bible with them. Get them to read the Bible with you. Share these live streams, these recordings. We have the solution. We know the Savior's power to save. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Thank you for listening.